If you have a Bible with you, would you turn with me to the book of Jonah, the Old Testament book of Jonah. I feel, feel like the Lord has allowed me to have a word for people that are here. I don't know everything about everybody, so I don't know who this will connect with or who it won't connect with. But I do know this, the word of God is powerful, it's true, it's real, and it can speak to any life, in any season, in any place. So if you'll open yourself up to hear the word of the Lord, I feel like he wants to speak to us. The book of Jonah, we're going to go to the fourth chapter, the last chapter in the short book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, beginning at verse number 5. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd. That's a plant, by the way, King James. The Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come over Jonah that it might shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad for the gourd. But, verse 7, God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd and it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God pre prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat down upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? Now this is thing that I would not say back to God. <laughs> and he said to him, I do well to be angry even out of the death. I probably wouldn't say that. Verse number 10, then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, the great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. I'm going to title this a, a weird title, but I want you to stay with me. I'm going to preach this morning on a few minutes on the worth of a worm. The worth of a worm. Can you pray with me for a moment that the Lord would speak to us and help us today? Lord, we thank you so much for your word and your presence that's here. We are praying that your spirit would confirm your word. God, help me as a messenger to deliver your message to this great people. I pray that there would be ears and hearts ready to receive it. Help us, God, in this place to see what your word is saying and speaking to us. We need you here and right now. Let it speak into us and change us in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. As you're seated, look at somebody and say the worth of a worm. There are many creatures in the Bible. If you were I to open the pages of scripture and open up your Bible, you would see that there are a lot of different and variant creatures throughout your Bible. 
There are hundreds, in fact. Let me tell you a little bit about a few. There is an ant listed in your Bible in the book of Proverbs. There is an antelope, Deuteronomy tells us, and Isaiah mentions the antelope. There is a bear in the Bible. Now, I want to say something right here about the bear. The bear devoured people that made fun of a bald guy. I just want to say that. And you can receive it however you want to receive it. But it's in the book. There's also the bald locust. Just saying, personal favorite. There's a bee in Judges. There is a buzzard in Isaiah. There's a cow in the book of Daniel and the book of Luke. There's a deer in Psalm. There's a dog in Judges and 1 Kings and also in Luke. There is a donkey. There is a dove that's mentioned in the Bible. There's a fox and a frog. There's also a dragon mentioned in Scripture. There is a gnat and a goat and a horse and a hyena. There is, in the Bible, a Leviathan. It's a big word. You get a lot of points in Scrabble, as Pastor says, for that word. And you get bonus points today if you can spell it to your neighbor after service. There's an ox in Proverbs. There's a raven in Genesis. There's a scorpion, a serpent, and a sheep. There's a snake. There's a vulture. There's a viper. And in your Bible, ladies and gentlemen, today, if you find it, there is a unicorn. It's listed in the Bible. At the end of this alphabetical list that I just read to you for the next, for over the last few moments, at the end of this alphabetical list is a worm. A worm is mentioned in Scripture. The creature, this worm, would be the creature that helped ruin the manna that fell from heaven in the book of Exodus. There is stories or parts of the Scripture that tell us David said, in his messianic psalm, in Psalm 22, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men despised of the people. Multiple times, wormwood is mentioned as an analogy. Three times in Mark chapter 9, Jesus likened hell to a place where the worm dieth not. In Acts, Herod's arrogance led him, now stay with me, to be eaten by worms. Now, I am not going to put a picture of worms up on the screen. I'm smarter than that. Not going to gross anybody out today. Obviously, the worms play a part in Scripture. It's not an overly significant part of Scripture, but worms are in the Bible. Worms are only significant to the environment in the fact that they are the right thing to be in the soil to produce and help the right nutrients for the soil to be right for plants. That's why we have worms in existence. We also have worms so that you or I could go get in our car and drive down to that bait shop. I figured I'd get a little more amen on that. Take a Friday or a Saturday and just go buy you a box for $5 and go take them fishing for a little bit. Go take them to their demise. Worms. Many consider a worm a symbolism for something worthless or helpless. 
They are thought in the Bible to be, and by most, to be insignificant. But let me tell you this morning, as we will learn, if it is in the Word of God, it has a purpose. If it is in Scripture, it has significance. And the fact that a worm, by most standards, is insignificant actually tells us and makes us aware that there is significance in having a worm, in the worm. Jonah chapter 1, if you have a Bible, would you turn there with me for a moment? We're going to talk through the story of Jonah. Jonah chapter number 1 tells us about, now this is not just a child's story. This is not just a story of a man and a ship and a whale and all of the things that happened to him. This is not just that. There's much more to the story of Jonah. Jonah is a prophet sent to a specific place. God tells him the word of the Lord comes in verse number one and tells him to arise and go to Nineveh. The word sends him to a place with a purpose. And for whatever reason it is, Jonah flees that purpose. Whatever reason it may be, Jonah runs from where he is supposed to go. The Bible says in Jonah 1 and 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof. Now, I've said this before and I will say it again. Anytime you or I run from the presence of God or run from the things of God, there is always an unnecessary fee or cost attached to it. There was no need for Jonah to pay the fare for that boat on that day. And yet, because he is running from it, he finds himself paying an unnecessary price. So you hear me this morning as I preach to you his story. Do not run from the things of God. Do not run from the call of God. Do not run from the word of God. There is always an unnecessary cost attached to it. So he runs from it. And he went down into it and in them in the Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4. But the Lord sent a great wind into the sea. Now, if you want my synopsis or give you a definition of the book of Jonah, you just read one of major themes of this book. God sends the wind. God sent the wind. God prepared the environment, the surrounding. He prepared it, and God sends things into Jonah's path. Can I tell you this this morning? Are you with me? God is always working. God is always sending and moving and doing something. He is always setting things in motion. Always. I don't care where you are or why you're here. God is always setting things in motion. Always. It's part of his nature. So he sends the wind. He sends the storm. And in fear, all of the mariners that are on the boat, the sailors, they cry out to their God. And in the middle of crying out to their God, they also take all the extra cargo on the ship and toss it overboard. 
They're thinking, okay, we've got to do what we can to save ourselves here and now. So they throw it off. They throw everything off. And Jonah, this whole time, the, the stranger, the one who should not be on the boat, he's in the bottom of the boat sleeping the whole time. He's there unaware of what's happening. And they show up and walk up to him and they're saying, Jonah, what are you doing asleep on the boat? Can you not see the storm? Cry out to your God. Maybe he will save us from this. And Jonah awakens and goes to the top. They ask him some questions. Who are you and where did you come from? And when did you get here? And why are you here? What's your job? What, who are you? And Jonah tells them everything about him. He tells them this. I serve the Lord who made the seas. He looks at the sailors of a boat who make, by the way, they make their living on that sea. He looks right at them and he tells them, I'm going to tell you who I am the servant of. I am from the one who made this right here. And you see this storm that surrounds us and you see this storm that envelops us right now? I am the one that serves him who caused this storm to come. I am the one who caused us to be right here in this moment right here. God has not lost control. Come on, I'm speaking into somebody deep right now. God has not lost control. It is not out of his hand, and it's not out of his comprehension. He knows where you are right now. Even now, God knows. Because he's the one that made it. So then the men, well, he tells the men, the only way you're going to get out of this is if you take me and throw me off the ship. That's the only way you're going to get out of this. So the men look at him. You know what they say in verse number 13? They say, no way, that's strange, and we're not throwing a dude off the boat, not in this. You're crazy. So the men, you know what they do? Verse 13, nevertheless, the men row harder. Because they think it's within me to save myself. They think it's within my own ability and power. Maybe if I just row harder, I'll save myself out of what I'm in the middle of. Can I tell you here this morning, on this September morning, you don't have the power, the ability, or the resources to save your own self. There is a God who saves. And he has that power and that authority and that right. He is the one that saves. And within you, is not the ability to save yourself. No matter how much you have or don't have, you can't save yourself. Verse 14, wherefore, they cried unto the Lord and said, we beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us the innocent blood for thou, O Lord, has done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from a raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. These men that did not serve the Lord, these men that did not know about the God who formed the sea, these men that were not aware of who the God even really was, when they saw this happen with their own eyes, and they watched that this man who said he knew the God of the sea get thrown overboard into the sea, they turned and said, that's the true God. 
there came a moment of pure revelation and understanding. At this time, I now see there is one Lord. There is one God. And all the gods I've served my whole life, they don't equal this God. All the gods I poured myself into and sacrificed for, they're not like this God. All the ones that I've given my time and life to, they're not like this God because he controls the sea. And he controls the wind and the waves and the power. It is in his hand. But you listen to me this morning. In order for those sailors to get to that point and those mariners to see it the way God wanted to see it, he had to send them trouble. He had to send them in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a sea. He had to send them trouble. And their trouble turned them to God. May this city, may your neighbors, may your coworkers and your friends and your family, may they see the trouble that surrounds us and the trouble on every side and the trouble that's over the seas and in this country. And may it turn them to God. Come on, I'm preaching you. Trouble has the potential to fill these altars. Trouble has the potential to call people to be baptized in Jesus' name. Trouble has the potential for people to pray more. See, here's the thing about God and here's the thing about trouble. God will allow broad trouble to make us pay attention to him. I don't have all the answers for COVID. I don't have all the answers for the racial injustices. I don't have all the answers for Afghanistan. I don't have all the answers for all the things we faced over the election season and everything that we went through and all the trouble that just seems to swirl and all the news cycles. Here's the one thing I do know about God. The broad trouble that he allows is mainly for one purpose, to direct us to him. Come on, somebody's got to help me preach this morning. God has allowed what he has allowed because he's trying to send revival, because he's trying to bring in souls, because he's trying to have a harvest, because he wants to set the captives free. And God sends broad trouble because he's trying to send revival. I don't know, but I'm, I'm excited about revival. I'm excited about this church being filled, but also God filling people in our homes and God filling people across this city in the mayor's office or all the way across the county of Lonick, all the way around the world. I am excited because when God sends trouble, he's turning people to him. He's turning people to recognize him. So they do. They acknowledge him. They worship him. Verse 17 in Jonah chapter 1. Now... The Lord prepared a great fish. See, I told you a moment ago, God is always preparing something. He's always preparing something. He's always moving something into place. He's always working on some level. Now, the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days And three nights before that boat ever arrived to that spot in the sea, before the waves ever took them to the place that they would be where Jonah was cast out, God spoke to a great fish and told the great fish to move over to this spot 
so that he would be ready. Hear me today. God is already preparing something. You know why I'm smiling? It's because I know there are people in here that are struggling with the job situation and you don't realize God's already preparing something. I know there are people in this room that have struggled with health or you're struggling with your family dynamic right now and what's going on in your family. And you need to hear this preacher. God is already preparing something. He's not playing checkers like we are. He's playing chess. He's already moved things into place. He is preparing something. Come on, I wish somebody would receive that right now. He's already working. He's already moving. He has set it in motion. So he prepared the great fish. And the fish swallows Jonah. And Jonah has to stay there for three days and three nights. Now, I've heard pastors say this, and it was funny because I was thinking about this story. And then I was thinking about the context of me. I've always seen in children's books the story or the picture displayed of Jonah in the fish. And this is what it always looks like. Jonah is sitting very peacefully in a fish's belly. He has a stool. And then right beside his stool is this little bitty nightstand. It's got a candle on it. It's lit. You know, you're thinking Pinocchio. That's where they got it. Jonah. Yeah. Thank you. Loudest response I've gotten so far. You think Jonah's sitting here? Woo, this is good. Absolutely not. He is, let me, let me, let me just give it to you in plain, it's, this is English, not even King James English. He's in the belly of a fish. Now, I'm not going to put a picture of a belly of a fish on the screen. You're welcome. He's in the belly of a fish. It is not comfortable. It does not feel good. And it's to teach Jonah a little bit of a lesson. So Jonah 2 is filled with Jonah's song. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. If I'm in the belly of a fish, I'm not singing. Not doing it. And yet... He does. He sings a song. And Jonah prayed unto God out of the fish's belly. And he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction, verse number two, unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried, and, I, and thou heardest my voice. Verse number four. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Now watch this. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. I want to pause for a moment. This is not in my notes, but I'm just going to say it. I, it does not matter how far away from you, from God, that you are right now. If you will just turn your eyes and look again unto a God who is merciful and a God who is kind and just and righteousness, if you will just turn and look again, there is mercy for you today. Verse number nine, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And when he says thanks to God, the fish spits him out. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it, it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And Jonah marches himself to the very place he was supposed to go in the very beginning. 
the town of Nineveh. He goes to preach. It's a three-day walk from one end of the city to the other end of the city. This wicked town, this town that was known for torturing people, this town with an awful reputation. And yet Jonah marches himself through that city according to the word of the Lord and declares that if they do not repent, God will destroy this place. So he does it. He fulfills his purpose. And imagine for a moment how exhausted it would be for you to walk for three straight days. Think about that. Emotionally, mentally, physically, how drained you would be if you walked for three straight days. Opening your mouth and declaring that for three straight days. Two things real quick. One, I don't know how Sister Lindsay has a voice after singing that choir song. You know what I'm talking about. She knows what I'm talking about. Two, last year, I decided I'm going to raise some money for missions, so I'm going to go on a 20-mile walk. So I got to about mile 15 and thought I was going to perish. <laughs> True story. This is how bad it was, ladies and gentlemen. I'm on my 15-mile walk with a backpack and some water bottles, just barely making it down Pine Street in Cabot, where everybody in God knows who you are. And I cannot take another step. So I sit myself down on the sidewalk, right in front of Walmart. Sit myself down there and just in great distress. My feet are sore. My legs hurt. I don't have anything left in me. And I look up. And there's somebody who appears to be homeless coming down the street towards me. And as he's riding his bike, he's riding a bike towards me. As he sees me, and how desperate and, and dire I am, as he sees me, he goes, oh. And he turned and went the other way. And I'm laying on the sidewalk in front of Walmart and going, it's for missions. It's a good cause. It's a true story. I did yell at him. My righteousness For three days, he walked from one end of the city to the other. And when they hear the word, when the king hears this message, in just a miraculous turn of events, the king issues repentance and fasting. And he calls upon all of the city of Nineveh to turn to God. So he, he, he requires it. And when God looks at their works and he sees them and he sees the change... God does this because he is merciful. He removes his judgment off of the city. He lifts what he said he would do and he lifts it off of the city. Now, I know for us, it's easy as we turn to Jonah chapter 4. I know for us, it's easy to look at Bible characters. It's easy for us to sit knowing the full story of what happens. It's easy for us to sit and look at a Bible character and to be judgmental and to think, why would they do that? And how could they act that way? Or what would they do? When Jonah sees this, he's angry. You gotta stop though and think for a moment. Jonah has just walked three days nonstop, declaring it. Jo I don't know what the history is or why Jonah feels the way that he is. I don't know Jonah's personality. I don't know his frame. I don't know how he's made up. All we can do is derive from Scripture. But hear me for a second. 
We don't know why he didn't want to go to Nineveh, but he didn't want to go to Nineveh. It could have been some history. It could have been the wickedness and the treatment. It could have been the size of the task. It could have been some, something that happened that Jonah didn't believe these people were worthy of mercy. But he goes anyways and he does it and God performs what he said he would do. What he, what he, what he, he removes what he said he was going to do. And Jonah is hurt and confused. Look at Jonah 4 and 1. I'm laying a groundwork for a moment. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed in the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? I didn't want to leave home to do this. Therefore I fled unto Tarshish, but I knew, I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and great kindness and repentest thee of evil. I knew if I go, you have enough mercy for these people. I knew that. I don't think they deserve it, but I knew if I did it, you'd have enough mercy on them. Therefore now, O Lord, verse 3, I beseech thee, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is in a very dark place emotionally. His expectations, hear me, I'm, I'm here. His expectations were not met. His frustrations are real. His issues are legitimate. These people do not deserve mercy. And he has found himself in a place where where he thought God would do and what really happened are not the same thing. And here Jonah is, and we can sit and criticize, Jonah, you should have mercy. God have mercy on you. But you and I both know we've been in places we ought not to be. You and I both know we've been in dark places sometimes. In places that are not right. You and I both know that I've been there. I've been in places where my mind should not think the things that it thinks. And I've been in places where my heart wants things that it should not want. I've been in those dark places. And Jonah is in a dark place. All his wishes were unfulfilled. Jonah, whether he feels resentment, whether he feels like his purpose is complete, whether he feels bitter or frustrated or disappointed, there's Jonah. Now, all the words and adjectives I just used for the last few minutes, bitterness, resentment, anger, frustration, disappointment. If that has ever been you, would you shoot your hand straight up in the air? In all of this dark place, here's what the Bible says. And Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of a hill. And there made him a booth and he sat under their shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd. He prepared a plant and it made him to come up over Jonah that it might shadow over the very place where those thoughts were coming from. That it might shadow over the top of his head. And the Bible says this, to deliver him from his grief. God prepared something to cover Jonah. I'm preaching to you here this morning. Thank 
God that he covers us in our darkest moments. I'm not going to move on past that. In the middle of what is dark and heavy and wrong and frustrating and disappointment, in that dark place, yet God has already gone before you and he has prepared something to cover you. Come on, you may be struggling right now with unmet expectations and disappointment, maybe with anxiety and depression and the fear that covers you, but you hear me, you hear this preacher right now, he can still cover us. Come on, I'm speaking to that mom right now that you struggled in your mind. He's a covering God. I'm speaking to that young person right now that's battled things. He is a covering God. He is a God that sees every place, every season, every moment. And he has the ability and the mercy to cover us. Listen, Jonah is not right. Jonah is not correct. He is not right, and yet God still chooses to cover him. Somebody needed that. Jonah is not in the right place, and yet, in his ignorance and defiance, God still says, I have enough mercy for you. I have enough mercy. I know exactly what you need in the exact moment that you need it, and I will provide it and prepare it for him. If you want to sum up the whole book of Jonah, it's one word, mercy. That's the book of Jonah. God is a merciful God. And he chose to cover him and to give him refuge. Here's what the psalmist said. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. A refuge in times of what? Trouble. He will be a refuge in every trouble that surrounds your life, just Psalm 46 and 1. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present. Come on, I'm going to speak to trouble for a second. Trouble does not have the final say. Trouble doesn't have authority. Trouble doesn't have the power. It only has the reach that God allows it to reach. And God is merciful enough, powerful enough, and sovereign enough to slip past that trouble and to cover you. That's going to settle into somebody. He's merciful enough to cover you and to keep you right in the middle of where you are. Isaiah 25 and 4 says, Thou hast been a strength to the poor. Anybody feel poor in the house? Thou hast been a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat. God knows this moment for you. He knows this moment, and he's prepared something for you. Now, I'm so thankful for the season of relief that God gives. And I spent the last few moments, and I hope that, I hope that with what I preached and how I preached it, I hope that, that it connects with you, that, that God is something, God is someone that prepares things to relieve us, and he covers us. 
And he covers me from calamities that come. And he covers me from the grief that I feel. And he covers me through the feelings that I have and the thoughts that I have. But that is not where God leaves us. So the Bible says this, verse number 7. But God prepared a worm. That when the morning arose, the next day it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun arose, God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat down upon Jonah's head that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, do thou well to be angry? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then the Lord said, thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither made it to grow, which came up in night, and then it perished in a night. God prepared something small, insignificant, to remove the gourd from the equation. See, that plant that once covered on top of Jonah and over his head and protected him and keep him, God is the one that prepared the worm to show up at the right time, in the right moment, the right size, the right ability, the right power to eat away the gourd. The worm, as it devours the gourd, it kills the gourd. And it takes away the very thing sent to relieve Jonah. Because the worm has one purpose. I've got to reveal Jonah. While the gourd was sent to relieve him, the worm was sent to reveal things in him. Thank God for a worm, something insignificant and small, but thank God for it, that in God's mercy, he would not just leave us in the place that we are comfortable and prepared and we feel okay and we feel settled. Thank God in his mercy, he would say to us, it's time for you to come out of that season. It's time for you to come out of those feelings right now. It's time for me to expose some things that are inside of you, and I'm going to use something small and obscure to do it. I'm going to take this situation and turn it on its head for a second because I love you enough not to leave you here. I love you enough to reveal some things inside of you. You see, God sends broad trouble to turn our attention to him. But God sends specific trouble when he wants you to pay attention to yourself. Oh, that's, that's good. And I felt it in the Holy Ghost and I put it in my notes and it should be on the screen because it's for somebody. God allows specific trouble, things that you're personally going through, things you're personally dealing with, not only to turn your attention to God, but to turn your attention to yourself. What in me is God trying to reveal? What in me is God trying to grow? What in me is God trying to work and to move? What is God doing? <laughs> He's always preparing something. He's always working on some level. He's always working somehow, some way. He's always doing something. 
You want me to tell you what the worm is sometimes? The worm sometimes looks like a bald-headed preacher standing up on a Sunday in September telling you it's time for you to come out of that season. That's what a worm looks like. You know what a worm looks like? Sometimes it looks like a person who picks up the phone and calls you and says, you know what? God has a word for you today, and this is what he wants you to do. The worm sometimes looks like an event that's completely out of your control, and yet it leaves you feeling exposed and like, what am I supposed to do? Thank God for the worm. You didn't think a preacher would come up on Sunday morning and praise God for a worm. Here you are, because we need it. I don't want God to leave me just where I am. I don't want God to just leave me in the place that I'm at. He has something he wants to show me. He has something he wants to form in me. He has something he wants to do in me. So I thank God for every event and every sermon and every revelation and every trial and every experience that I have because he's trying to reveal something in me. The worm is the catalyst for a new season. The worm is the linchpin for Jonah to move forward. The worm... That thing, that event, that person, that word, while insignificant, was what Jonah needed and what God used to propel his understanding. Because here's what happens. God talks to him and says, listen, thou hast had pity on the gourd. Listen, for that which you did not labor. Let me tell you who's in control, Jonah. It's me. Neither did you make it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are ye more than six score thousands people, that these people can't discern between their right hand and their left hand? Hear me this morning. God had to use a worm to remove the gourd to teach Jonah about his mercy. Anything, ladies and gentlemen, here's the point. Anything that gives me revelation and gives me understanding and instructs me and teaches me and guides me, no matter what shape or form it is, it is invaluable to me. Come on, I'm, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. And yes, I'm passionate. And yes, I'm fired up. You are cursing your worm. And you are cursing the very thing that God is trying to use to propel you forward. And you despise it. And you hate it. And you're ready to move on. But God is saying, I have prepared this thing. I have prepared this thing to open your eyes. I have prepared this thing to make your heart right. I have prepared this thing so that I can speak to you. Boy, it's quiet. And lest I should be exalted above the measure of 2 Corinthians 12, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. And listen to what happens next. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will, I will watch. I will glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. 
for when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you know the only way Paul sees the revelation of the grace of God is because he has a thorn. The only way he sees the full understanding is because he has a thorn that's placed in his life. Can I tell you this morning, don't curse or despise the very thing God is trying to use to get your attention, to form you into who he wants you to be, and to draw you closer to him. I feel the Lord. Can you lift your hands up in the sanctuary? Whatever God prepares that will push me into a new season and greater understanding, that thing is invaluable to me. Stand with me if you don't mind. It's a worm. And there's great worth in it. It's a worm. There's great meaning in it. Can you put the picture up of the, the worm? What you see on the screen is called a Caucus alysis. It's a Kermes vimelo, is how they say it, or what we refer to it as. It's a worm. It doesn't look like a normal worm that you and I think of, but it's a worm. And most people believe that this is the worm that ate the gourd. The worm that you see on the screen you can clearly see its color. The name of this worm is where we get the word crimson from. Because this is what happens with the worm that you see on the screen. That worm up there, in order for it to reproduce, in order for it to birth its children, in order for it to bring, bring life, here's what it has to do. That worm on the screen has to attach itself to a tree. When it does this, again, the worm that ate the gourd, when it does this, it attaches itself to the tree and it gives birth to its young. And when it does, the only way for those young to live is for it to die. And when it dies, that red-looking fluid, that crimson fluid, it comes from the body and it flows down the tree. It's where we get scarlet from. It's where we get crimson from. And the only way for the next generation to live, the only way for the sons and the daughters and the future to live is for it to die and to shed what looks like blood. That's that worm. Maybe this worm, this moment, this time, knowing, hearing, listen, if this is your first time to hear the gospel, let me tell you to it real let me tell you real quick. Jesus died for you. He died on a cross and shed his blood for you. He died, he was buried and he rose again for you so that you could have life. And his blood speaks a better word than our sin and mistake and he died for you. And maybe just maybe the moment of hearing about the worm Hearing the gospel reveals to you your need for a new season. Maybe it was that event that will change the course of your life. Oh, it's just a worm. It's just a message on Sunday morning. It's just, 
It's just a preacher that some of us know and some of us don't. It's just that. Hear me. God can take anything he prepares and he can use it to send you into a new season of your life. I want you to hear me. God has covered you long enough. He has kept you. And listen, he's going to keep covering you. But hear me for a moment. He's not just covering you. He's calling you out. And he's calling you forth. And he's using something to do it. Wish you'd lift your hands with me in the sanctuary right now. Word, the way that you gave it to me, Lord. I'm so thankful for a worm that seems insignificant. But God, to you, it was the very thing you had to prepare and use to take him from point A to point B. So God, whatever you're doing and using in someone's life right now, we embrace it. We receive it, God. Whatever it is that you're doing, however it is that you're working, we receive it. We embrace it right now. Here's what I'd like to do. These altars are open. I invite anyone that would like to come. Anyone ready for a new season and ready for a new place, I invite you to come. Would you step out from where you are? Would you make your way down the front and lift your hands up high and say, God, I see the value in what I'm going through. I see the value in what I'm in the middle of right now. I see that everything that you're doing and I know you're preparing something for me. Come on, his grace and his mercy, his love and his goodness is real for you. Come on, that's it. Reach out to him. Come on, I know it's been difficult and it's been hard and it's unexplainable at points, but God, you are a God of mercy. And what I'm in the middle of is designed to bring me through. It's prepared. Come on, that's it. Cry out to him for a moment. Lay it on the altar for a moment. Lay the frustration and disappointment. Lay the season there. And let God work.
with somebody, would you connect with them? Come on, there's people getting strength and help right now. Evaluate and look, Lord. You're, you're speaking and you're working. You're preparing.
me just say something I feel in closing. Spiritual blindness is not just sin. You can also be spiritually blind because of yourself. You can also be so connected to your own opinions and thoughts and feelings that you miss what God is ultimately trying to do. And you miss because you're so, you're so consumed with how you think it should go or how you feel or whatever. But let me just tell you for a moment. God's plan is right. And if you've trusted Him this far, keep trusting Him. He's prepared it. He's gone before it. And He's using things to bring you to Him. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you accomplished on every level in the room. We love you, Lord. We're thankful for the cross of Calvary. We're thankful for your word and your spirit. Help us as we leave here. Help us to have a perception change that our eyes would be open. Let your kingdom come here in our life, in this city, in this state, in this nation and world. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Thanks for being at New Life today. You are dismissed in Jesus' name. We'll see you Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. It'll be a great time, midweek. Classes for all ages. God bless you. You're dismissed.